0: He's, a, he's only he's only an hour late, guys.
1: Yeah, only. We only had like every problem imaginable. Yeah, the universe was trying to, to buy him some time. It was trying to give him a good nap so he could wake up and get <laughs> into some hot Gorgo action. But it didn't happen. Alright. <clears throat> Looks like everything's recording now.
0: Welcome to the exciting world of the movies.
1: Hello and welcome back to the movie graveyard. We are digging way, way, way back into uh the Wait, depths hold on. of the graveyard. Hold on. Oh, hold
2: on. <laughs> start over. <laughs> <laughs> My recording just started, so so start over.
1: Okay, no problem. <laughs> welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Hello and welcome back to the movie graveyard. We're
0: digging...
1: the uh, now you now you, now you curse me, Bert. Welcome to the
0: exciting world of the movies.
1: Hello, and welcome to the movie Graveyard. We are digging way back to the the most ancient part of the Graveyard tonight. We are digging up the oldest film we've ever discussed on the movie Graveyard. In order to do this, I had to bring in some backup. I needed some true experts here. And since we are talking about an awesome, giant, epic, colossal monster uh, film tonight, I brought along with me the co-host and co-founder of the Kaiju Transmissions, Bird. Bird, how are you hey, doing tonight?
2: Hey, me. I'm so happy to be back here. Uh, I've been on here for a couple of things, and it's always a pleasure. Uh, I am representing my podcast solo, as my co-host has uh disappeared he was supposed to be here and he uh he has no call no showed to work so <laughs> he was, anyone he was, listening can feel
1: free to shame him he was last seen on the outskirts of the woods looking for the blair witch <laughs> <laughs> also we also got another uh you know frequent visitor to the podcast it's been a few months since he's uh, been gone and we missed him for sure we have the one and only bird destroyer. Not not bird as in bird the person, but bird as in the animal destroyer. Jelly. <laughs> Jelly, how are you? How is it things going your evil lair where you're finding up a way to uh kill every disease bird in North America?
0: <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a fun phone call I got today. Uh, for those for those uh not in our Facebook chat. So <laughs> Which is everybody <laughs> Uh I got a I got a call at work Today I work. I work for a, a industrial gases company that uh, asked me to help with controlling the outbreak of avian flu, and I was like, "Well, we're we're not a hospital." Like, and they were like, "Oh, no, 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 no. We want you to uh, d- develop a bird euthanizing device. <laughs> um, so it's uh, it's basically just uh, feeds birds a, a bunch of or, or CO2 and just kind of puts them to sleep when uh, when they get like." Pegged as having avian flu. I don't know how these birds get found out. If this is you know you know some secret um, bird Hitler Holocaust thing going on. It could be. But uh, but yeah, I'm I'm helping to to kill some birds.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't doubt if this whole evil scheme has been concocted by the one and only Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I promised you guys some epic monster action. And we're going to deliver it to you tonight. We are talking about the one and only 1961 film, Gorgo, which uh, set a lot of uh, precedents for the, at that time, young and emerging kaiju genre. So, yeah, without delay, we're going to get it rolling. We're all actually working off the same release of this film, a Blu-ray from a company called VCI. We have it paused at the one second mark. This movie actually starts out with the old school MGM logo with the lion. So if you get yours paused at the one second mark, you will see a lion that looks very sleepy and cross eyed. So we're going to be rolling on that. If you want to follow along, I want to say one, two, three, go. And when I say go, hit play on your emotes. Guys, do you have your emotes or other various yep. uh, playback devices ready?
0: Yes, I'm old sir? school, or not, I guess I'm, I'm the middle school. I got the controller. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, Old that, school would be the remote and the and the Blu-ray player. Right. New school would be the uh, the the like game system and the remote for it.
1: <laughs> me me and Trev uh, many times uh, did this show off of some uh, actually PlayStation controllers. So yeah, we know that we know that controller route well here. So everybody, let's get ready for some gorgo. One, two, three, go! Wake up, sleepy lion! Oh, he's All roaring. Right. And An others. hour
2: and sixteen minutes, nice and brisk. Brisk, it's going to yeah, feel I miss a lot that. longer
1: though.
2: It's so <laughs> epic. That's one thing I love about watching old, like monster movies
0: and stuff. Is they they really don't waste old too movies much in time. general. Old movies in general too. I mean. It- this movie this exact same movie released today would be like an hour and 26 minutes because there'd be 13 minutes of credits right
1: <laughs> with all the cgi and
2: but then when you when when you have modern writing in place it's there'd be some convoluted origin and all this other <laughs> All this other stuff.
1: <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting that the movie just starts out straight out with a title card that just thanking the people of London, authorities, I guess, of London, England, and I think I believe it was Dublin, Ireland, uh, for uh, helping make this film possible. So,
2: you used to see stuff like that, like the original Godzilla has a, a thank you to like the Maritime Society or something.
1: And I, you know, um, I don't know how they did titles back then, Bird, but I got to <laughs> say the Gorgo font is boss. It is a good font. Yeah. <laughs> like it looks better than the CGI created shit of now.
0: So uh the, the very opening shot is is not like like what we're looking at right now is a little bit better. Uh a little bit more of a steady cam. That very opening shot is like they they were on a boat for that. <laughs> Right. and it's it's rocking up and down a little bit that that's it's a little bit disorienting but but yeah, it gets now we're in a good watching some waves crash against some rocks uh
2: so goat um I wanna kind of pick your brain on what this is an interesting choice for the graveyard uh, first yeah. of all, it's the oldest movie you've done as as you said far, uh yeah far. i mean you're usually in the eighties and sometimes nineties yeah. uh we have had one
1: film in the two thousands, one film, and that was it. And I'm and I'm just
2: kind of curious the why you decided I, to because in in our we have like a Facebook chat we we talk to with basically us and all our other podcast buddies and uh, I think I don't know me Matt Tom like you know us kaiju guys brought up Gorgo and and then like. That led to you, like, just going on Amazon and buying the Blu-ray within, like, five minutes. And yep. somehow one of us, it might have even been you, mentioned, like, doing it for The Graveyard. So what? what is your, like, why Why this this movie? And, like, what is your, like, uh, you know, why, why? is there some kind of attachment that you have to this film? Yeah, or? for
1: sure. I was going to go around and ask everybody how they became acquainted with this film. So basically yeah for me this is um this is pretty much the kaiju that i believe it or not i've i've probably seen the most um you know growing up or whatever and basically it just came from this movie came out in 1961 so uh when this movie came out my dad was a kid and he was taken to this film so my dad always had a um you know my my dad my dad's number one thing was always giant monsters like not you know not like really, anything you know, like he like he saw you know in theaters like all a lot of the old Ray Harry House and stuff, and you know um like really just like the Americanized stuff, and this is actually like a british movie, but but, yeah, he saw a lot of that stuff, and he was like one of the few people who loves giant monsters that's actually like wasn't obsessed with Godzilla like in you know directly general, just he was just any giant monster he loved. And uh, yeah, so it basically just came down to, you know, like many great films, also a similar one would be like Valley of the Gwangi, you know, when the, I guess, 90s rolled around and Suncoast Video rolled around, we would go looking for my dad's favorite movies as a kid, and we would buy them on VHS for usually whatever they were back then, you know, 15 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever, and Gorgo was one of those, so I was rocking Gorgo probably Probably from the time I was like thirteen, I'd say r- roughly around twelve, thirteen, and I wa- and we uh, we owned the cassette, um, and I watched this. I want to say at least probably four or five times throughout the years. Also with the Valley of the Guanyi, because um, there was just a, a long period of time where you know before DVD, like my movie collection was literally about twenty, di- only about twenty tapes really, um, and we didn't have cable for a pretty long stretch. So I'd watch these movies, and Gorgo, like, yeah, like, even even as, like, a whatever, 12-year-old, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, whenever we bought the tape, like, the shit was rocking for me. Like, it I, it didn't really seem campy to me. Like, it totally worked as a movie to me. I enjoyed it. So Gorgo has always, you know, had a soft spot in my heart from just being a movie that my dad shared with me. He loved as a kid. I loved it. You know, the Final Destruction scene, I think is one of the best, you know, especially of the older movies. So that's how I got into it. Bird, how did you come across Gorgo? Uh, well, um, unfortunately,
2: I don't. My my story isn't as personal or intimate as yours. Uh, for me, um, it was just growing up <clears throat> when I was younger uh, and really just kind of getting into these monster movies. I mean, Godzilla is what really got me there. And I got there from just being a kid into dinosaurs, but So it was Godzilla and King Kong. And then after that, I mean pre internet, um and you know, with you know, some magazines really, and you know, whatever kind of literature from the library you could get your hands on, that's that's what made you aware of movies. Um we're looking at some very strange looking dead.
0: Are fish these right anything now. like
1: <laughs> I was I was gonna say this and like I'm wondering if that's was meant but these rubber fake like prehistoric fish that they're finding in the ocean because the movie basically starts out with there's some kind of underwater explosion or something that messes up these guys like giant uh the ship and I was gonna say like no joking those rubber fish those weird prehistoric fish they found it looked like the uh, the fish that Luke Skywalker caught in The Last Jedi. Did you guys yeah. pick that up? No, i I can see that. Yeah, I can see it, it. it looked – because like where he spear fishes, it looked like one of those fishes. It's weird. No one ever talks about
2: there being like these weird fictional yeah. fish being in this. Yeah. Uh, this that's interesting. Uh, anyway, um, so yeah, I mean once you ex- – yeah, exhausted the godzillas the king kongs even the gameras although i think i might have seen gorgo before i saw any gameras Uh, maybe before i saw all the gameras that's for sure um and going to the video store and you know there it is gorgo a giant monster on on the loose and you know so you rent it and it's another one to to the watch over and over um uh, my appreciate my real appreciation for the movie didn't come until a little later. It wasn't one of my favorites as a kid, but um I've really grown to to like it quite a bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean I have a lot of history and factoids about this movie that um, I'm I'm excited to get into with you guys, but uh We're getting acquainted here with our
0: the this this kid is is one creepy little fuck i'm sorry uh (laughs) he answers the door like where's your dad i don't have a father and you know he's like he's an eight-year-old kid he works for the archaeologist who's also the harbor master this kid is shady as shit and we're gonna see that develop throughout the course of this movie I don't think we Just, ever learned where his parents are. Just no. keep your eyes on this Killed kid. Them. He is well, shady. He, get,
1: he gets, like, passed around. We, we should say for people who maybe, you know, haven't seen us in a while or something. Basically, it starts out, yeah, this giant ship gets messed up, and, you know, they need to dock to make repairs. And so you have, like, the two main characters, which is, like, the captain of the ship and his best friend. I think it's, like, Joe and Sam. So they go to and this they're, harbor. They're,
0: uh, they're scalvagers, or, yeah. yeah. They, they run, like, a scalvage ship.
1: So they go to this harbor to make repairs, and they found there's an archaeologist archeologi- ar- uh, who's, like, you know, basically raiding the local, like, you know, like, just basically, like, not really pirate treasure, but it kind of is pirate treasure or Viking treasure in this area. Uh, just pretty much, he's got all these local townies combing the, the sea bottom, and I guess probably on land as well, and he's just stockpiling these artifacts that obviously are worth a lot of money. And, yeah, he just has this little boy with him who's, like, his manservant or something. And uh, the kid has, like, no... I guess, like, life is cheap here or something because the kid's got, like, no uh, no parents. And uh, the guys from the ship, they can't get any help from the archaeologist who, like Jelly said, is also the harbor master. He basically just tells them, like, you know, you can't be here. You need a permit or some bullshit. And makes up this excuse. Basically tells them to kick rocks even though their ship really can't be out on the sea yet. So... It's a pretty bizarre setup and uh I think if you're not a, if if you're not kind of like um you know more familiar with older kind of slower paced movies like the the beginning of this movie might throw you off a little bit cuz you kind of you kind of don't know who the main characters are and who the good guys are in the beginning is what I felt like you know watching this
0: are there good guys in this movie? <laughs>
1: uh, I mean, there's the some kid. people that are better than others. <laughs> yeah, The kid, maybe, because <laughs> the kid's the only one who's like not out for some greedy monetary purpose. You know, you have one guy that eventually feels bad about it. Yeah. If that counts.
0: <laughs> um, for for me with this movie, this it's funny because goat like, believe it or not, this is you know maybe the kaiju movie I've seen the most. I I believe it because um this movie was on cable more than any other, like, kaiju movie. I, oh, this I think movie I was on remember. all the
2: time. TNT this, ran the hell out of this thing. Yeah,
0: this movie was on TV all the time. And that's, that's where I saw it. I mean, I never actually even saw it all the way through from, like, beginning to end um, until I bought the Blu-ray because it was just one of those movies that was just always on TV and you always picked it up, you know, Seemed like for me, I always picked it up during like the uh, the the scene where they're parading Gorgo through through downtown London, and you know, then from there, as a kid, obviously you're hooked because oh, giant monster, what? Right. Um, but like, yeah, it's it's just one of those one of those movies that just was always on all the time, um, and and yeah, that's just uh, yeah, I don't have like that personal connection to it or anything, but just. I do kind of feel like I remember my grandfather must have really liked this movie because he he is a person who bought me a few of my Godzilla movies. And I do this movie seemed to be always on at his house.
2: (laughs) You know, it's Uh, uh, this uh, this movie is really well known, especially among. Yeah, probably like baby boomers, probably people that are like our parents age, like anytime I meet an older person, probably like 50 and up. And they find out I like Godzilla. They always ask me if I've seen Gorgo.
1: Mm. Well, I think probably that you know, I mean, you guys and uh, you know, you guys in particular, you guys are huge Godzilla fans. You have no uh, qualms about really dipping into foreign cinema in general, not just kaiju movies, but just other movies too. But I think, I think maybe a reason why this movie was so marketable, and maybe like how Jelly said, why it was so on cable so much. Maybe it's just cuz you know it's there there's really no like translation barrier here like it's an English language movie. I mean like they do think, you know, uh, you know, London and uh, I think it was Dublin and all that where they shot over there, but it, people don't really have, I mean, I mean, unless they were like dubbed after the fact, people don't really have like um strong accents in this movie at all.
2: Right. It's interesting you mentioned that. I mean, uh, well, I don't know. Go, I could use that as a segue into the the kind of strange origins of of Gorgo. You yeah, want talk me to about get into
1: Gorgo because we're we're just at like we're still pretty much at the 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 spot where they're just stuck because their ship is messed up. And
0: I do they, just I just want to say if if you're if you got the Blu-ray for this, uh, if you're watching on the Blu-ray and you're and you're wondering, you know, because at some point I'm sure, well, it'll be right now mentioned that this blu-ray actually is like pretty good um and it is a massive massive improvement over any other print of this movie you've ever seen believe me um this is the worst looking scene it's it's murky it's hard to see what's going on but if you've seen any other print (laughs) of this movie ever you it's 10 times worse than this
2: go on netflix right now and watch the mystery science theater episode and come back to us yeah
1: (laughs) which which, i mean i love mystery science theater i'm a big fan but i would if you haven't seen gorgo yet i would if there's some way you can try to like see like the real legit version of the movie you know
0: but but so bird tell us about the origins of gorgo
1: all right well um
2: you know for as well known as this movie is i think that its importance to just giant monsters cinema has almost been uh I don't want to say ignored, but it's not talked about now the further time gets by it. But let's keep things in perspective. 1961, as far as real giant monster rampage movies, uh, there were two Godzilla movies in existence, two Kong movies, and then you had... um, Rodan. Uh, the, yeah, the, Rodan. The only other real big players were the Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms, the Harryhausen movie, which in which that led to a Japanese ripoff called Godzilla, which was game-changing in its own. Uh, and then um, that leads into uh, the giant behemoth, the Willis O'Brien movie, and then there's then that that's there's a couple other things, some giant insect movies, but that was really it. You know, that's probably less than 10 movies, really. Um, oh, The Lost World, that's more in the dinosaur movies. But but regardless, the, it wasn't really a genre yet. Um, and it's interesting to see just how much stuff from this movie was adopted by everyone, the Japanese, by everyone. Steven Spielberg, even. Uh, I mean, but uh, to kind of backtrack into just why this movie exists uh this was produced by the king brothers who didn't do too much they probably have something like 50 credits but they were really kind of your typical cheapo uh demanding movie producers um and they put out the english version of rodan which was a hit for them and they wanted to make another um giant monster movie. And uh they this was actually and this is why I said this it was kind of a segue, Goat, when you mentioned um this being English language, uh oh, there's uh baby Gorgo. Yeah.
1: We think it's just Gorgo at this point. We don't even Ailey's. know this baby, yeah, <laughs> baby Gorgo.
2: Which I, I I'm gonna diverge real quickly just to say I love the The monster.
1: Oh, I. I, I yeah. love the
2: design. I love the suit. I love the the flapping ears. The red eyes. Um, it's a and good I think roar this, too. Yeah, and I think this scene. I mean, before this Blu-ray came out, was garbage. But I'm watching it the way it's supposed to be. It's actually a pretty atmospheric and kind of spooky scene in a way.
1: Yeah. It is
2: um. Fun. But uh, anyway, you were talking about how this was in English movie um but originally this was going to be a co-production with the japanese and the movie was going to be set in japan um it hasn't been said uh anywhere but the it's i don't think it's a reach to say that it that toho may have been the japanese co-producer that the what studio they were in talks with is unknown but that's kind of the common theory because they had success with the american version of rodan
0: um but anyway they were the the only ones even toho was the only ones even doing this at the time (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) um but the japanese
2: funding fell through which is you know any other co-production on the Japanese end, it's usually the uh, the western side that falls through, and they pick up the slack. But um, the King Brothers, they wanted their dinosaur movie. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it ended up being a British film uh, directed by Eugene Laurier, who um, is another person that he only directed a handful of movies, but he's really one of the architects of this genre because he directed The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And, um, and then he did the giant behemoth and then he did Gorgo and the other, only other movie he directed was, um, uh, a movie about, um, this bionic, uh, giant called Colossus of New York, um, and some TV stuff. He was mostly a, uh, art designer, uh, Oscar nominated in fact. So he knew how, a mo- how to make a movie look good, um. And uh, this was kind of them being like, well, instead of stop motion, why don't we do this thing the Japanese have been doing with these elaborate miniatures and suits? And uh, sure enough, that was Gorgo. Um, Now, uh, I think he kind of uh, brought the basic idea to Gorgo. I think the King Brothers just told him, like, hey make a dinosaur movie, but something that stuck with him was uh, when he showed his daughter, who was a young, young kid at the time, uh, when he they went and saw The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, which he directed, she cried at the end of the movie, and yelled at her dad, How, why did you kill the monster? Why? Why You were mean to the monster, why did you do that? And he promised her, he was like, one day I'll make a movie like this for kids. Um, so Gorgo was kind of conceived as a kid's version of the beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Uh, and then that's where the the storyline of, you know, them capturing a creature, and it turns out it's a baby, and then there's the, the relationship with the parent monster. Um, and from what I understand, the King brothers took to that because they were close to their own mother. Um, and that's the origin of Gorgo. And if you look at this, you can see, not only in the special effects department, but um, this kind of first act is, uh, when, when we're told about the legend of Ogra the sea serpent is a little bit similar to, cause, cause they're on this, like, uh, this, this island, this small island, uh, this fishing community. Um, and there, they talk about Ogre, the sea serpent being like their guardian. It's very kind of Odo Island and Godzilla, um, but yeah, you look at the things that this movie did that would later be adopted. I mean, the, the baby monster getting captured and the parent coming after it has been done a million times after this, with Gappa is probably the most uh, notable one. That's Nikatsu's one and only kaiju movie from the, the Showa period, um, made by people who claim not to have never seen Gorgo. Tom, you've seen Gappa. Do you believe that? No, not
1: not
0: even <laughs> at all.
1: Yeah, I, I was gonna say that was the thing that was interesting to me was uh, as much as they as much as this film kind of borrows from both uh, the, kind of the design of Godzilla. Like like I love the design, and it was the ears that sold me on it when I was a kid. Like that made it yeah, distinctive. I it. Yeah. But it's like, it's kind of like, but I mean, I think, I think a lot of just average, like not fans or whatever, just people who just glance at Godzilla and glance at Gorgo, they probably would say, you know, Gorgo is a ripoff of Godzilla or whatever, but I like it because it's just kind of like a cool amalgamation of the Godzilla type creature, but kind of more with the King Kong storyline. And then like you said, yeah, bringing in the baby version, uh, which would be like copied so much later, like you know, as much as it bars for those other films, it also kind of has its own spin and its own contribution to the genre at the same time.
2: Yeah, no, I mean, this movie really did kind of introduce a lot of the tropes that we would see later. Um, Not just the stuff with the baby. Um, Speaking of the Japanese connection, this movie actually opened in Japan before it opened anywhere else. Wow. Um, And I, you know, I, I... I have to wonder. I mean, this is speculation. I mean, some of this stuff, its impos- everyone that worked on it's dead. You're never going to know. But uh, this predates Mothra by a good six months. And just knowing how quick Toho made those movies back in the day, I do wonder if maybe this movie had an influence on the element of... Because um, Mothra is kind of the same. They take like these the, the the small fairies. Of it. Yeah, they, the, the, these greedy entrepreneurs take these fairies off of an island, and Mothra comes and saves them. Um, I mean, I'm not sure. That's just more spitballing. But I mean, I
1: mean, I mean anything's possible, because like, people don't understand. Back then, they would remake movies that had literally came out one or two years previously. So for yeah. Toho to crank out a movie six months later, I mean, it's possible, you know? Yeah, Uh, I mean they uh, they
0: did it like they did it twice within the first five Godzilla movies. (laughs)
2: Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Ghidorah, which was probably their most ambitious kaiju movie when it was made, was was the the third third. and yeah, the third and last kaiju movie that Toho did with the same director, same effects crew, all within a year. So I mean, those guys worked fast back in the day. Um, But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things like um, Subaraya. Uh, once into the '60s, his monsters would have these glowing eyes, which famously, you know, when they die, the eyes would stop glowing. Um, but you know, Gorgo has the glowing eyes. Um, uh, and then the—I mean—you can see DNA from this movie everywhere. Uh, I mean, Steven Spielberg. Back when I rewatched the Jurassic Park series for Kaiju transmissions, watching the the Lost World features, he's very upfront about saying. The last act of this movie is my homage to Gorgo. Wow. Uh, I mean, uh, a lot of people that rose to prominence grew up on this movie. John Landis loves this movie. Um, uh, you can see um, just where Gorgo, even in Godzilla, you know, Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla 93 has the same ending where they walk into the water together. Um, uh, Gamera oh, the Brave. <laughs> man anyone anyone listening if it, someone's watching this for the first time with a movie graveyard commentary yeah, they're, they're not, not watching movies right oh here's a scene that uh is on on any other print of this movie is virtually unwatchable uh it's oh, just yeah, dark you can see it good here. it's just dark mush but yeah here you actually see the monster like kind of trying to bite into the the little submersible and all that stuff and yeah, it's and, shots like this, you could not see on any other
1: prints. Yeah, I mean, like I'm saying, you know, like I've seen this movie many times on an old whatever VHS tape. You know, I don't know if it was the Blu-ray quality and everything, be able to see better. But I this scene was like either my favorite or second favorite scene of the movie because they basically just put this guy in this really tiny, tiny submarine thing on a cable as bait for, for Gorgo so they can try to catch Gorgo in some nuts, and I thought it was a tense scene, man, just the claustrophobia of just, like, really when that guy first climbed in that thing, how small it was and how, yeah. how he could barely fit in it, and then when he's he in there... He can barely breathe. There's, got, there's no ventilation in no, this. No, no, yeah, and, and, and when Gorgo started attacking and the water started spraying in, like, I'm, I'm serious, it was working as, like, a good tense scene for me the other night when I was mm-hmm. watching it. I loved it, man. Um...
0: Oh, so, but, uh, so before Bird gets going, we we got to do our creepy kid counter. So first, yeah, first he told me has no dad. <laughs> then he's telling him he's this guy's manservant. Yeah. Then, then uh, they show up on on the land after they've they find the guys who are diving for treasure that the that the harbor master has. You know, diving for treasure, uh, and he tells them, "Ah, shark ate somebody." Um, and he just says it very nonchalantly. Um, and then he, uh, he's, he's creeping on these guys as they're having their conversations and, 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 and then as the guys are getting ready to leave, he's telling them that you guys are bad and you're doing a bad thing. And then we're about to see him come up here and, uh, and try and free Gorgo. Um, oh, and also when Gorgo first attacked, he tried to stop everyone from attacking him. So just just keep all that in mind. This, this kid (laughs) is, this kid is up to no good. Well, speaking of the kid, uh, I know we
2: mentioned it earlier, but yeah, I mean, I I, I guarantee, because that was like their key to like, okay, making a kid's movie, your audience cypher is going to be the kid. And how many times have we seen that in Japanese kaiju movies?
0: Uh, it's like the entire Gamera series.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and speaking of Gamera, pretty soon we're going to come up on the scene with them parading the, uh, the monster through the city. Uh, another thing, uh, probably one of the more famous images from this movie, lifted wholesale in Gamera the Brave, also. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I have to wonder if uh, Yuasa, the creator of Gamera, watched this movie at some point. Um, and then the, uh more about this how this movie has legs uh we're all John Carpenter fans here uh one of his first films uh as a film student was a he made a Godzilla versus Gorgo fan film wow Yeah, which um, I don't think has surfaced anywhere. I'm sure John Carpenter would probably prefer it that way, but for guys like us,
1: (laughs) yeah, I'd love to uh, see. Do you have any idea, like, how did he do it? Did he just use like little dolls or what? Yeah, it
2: might have just been like uh, toys or stop motion uh, or something like that. Because I know he's talked about, you know, making little Super 8 films or whatever with with his toy with toys and stuff when he was younger.
1: Well speaking of Godzilla versus Gorgo, I was mean you know, because you guys are Dyed in the wool, Godzilla experts, seen literally seen every single movie multiple times with Godzilla. Uh obviously not baby Gorgo here, but like legit daddy or mama Gorgo, whatever it is that shows up at the end. Um how do you think Gorgo would stand as an opponent for Godzilla? You think it could be a close I- fight maybe? I think
0: it would work. Um, Gorgos?
1: Well, yeah, the the Mother Gorgo,
2: which I guess technically is Ogre, she's pretty tough. Uh, She withstands military force the same way that Godzilla does, and uh, she's a pissed off mother, which you don't want to get in the way of those.
0: Yeah, look at this. This kid's trying to free the freaking monster on the ship.
1: And I got to say I like like this is where like this movie is really like a cut above to me like really was shocking me with the budget you know especially watching it again in the widescreen blu-ray edition and everything was I couldn't believe how good the um the 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 large prop gorgo's look like you can pretty much yeah. like just see his head and his arms starting to move underneath the nets there but I was surprised how you know cuz there's some other spots in the movie later on we'll get to where there are large you know, either prop fee or just whatever, and like I was really surprised, like how well they did, like the the large props here. You know,
0: yeah. Well, that's the the really. It's especially um, at this point in the genre, and God, it's like especially like where we are now in the genre. It's it's really unique to have any scenes with a with a with a monster or a kaiju where they're decently in scale with people like i mean the baby is what do they say is the baby is like 50 feet tall or something it might even be shorter than that yeah. right like
2: i think the closest you got
0: was probably
2: the scenes in king kong where like yeah. you know they, they have the big head eating the villagers and stuff like that
0: but like you know you think about like where we where we are now in this genre the only thing that has anything that's that's in that scale at all, is the Daimajin movies, you know, where Daimajin is, like, 25 feet tall yeah. or something, but, like... And it's it's just... It's really cool as a, a fan of this genre, you know, if for some reason you are a kaiju fan and you're listening to this and you've never seen Gorgo, like, that's a really unique kind of kind of piece to have in in this genre, is something that can interact with people a little bit more on, a, on, on that kind of a scale, and it gives... It It is a really cool scale, too, when you're talking about like building some of the miniatures and doing the, some of the composite shots and things like that. It, it just it adds like a different a different level to, to kind of looking at the miniatures, you know, because the miniatures that they have to create for a man in a suit who then is only supposed to be 25 feet tall are this like they're this really cool kind of they got a totally different look to them than, than a miniature made for, you know, something that's supposed to be 300 feet tall yeah Uh, so it's it's got a it's got a really unique flavor to it in that way
1: yeah and i think it's shocking when you watch this i mean other than a lot of the compositing kind of blue screen green screen type effects which are obvious other than just the actual compositing like i think it's kind of shocking to me when i watch this again in 2018 and i'm not the type of person who uh like for example i just today actually i listened to a podcast um and kind of the theme of it was re-watching movies from your youth and seeing if they hold up and this one guy just ripped the shit out of the terminator for literally having to stop motion terminator at the end so like i'm not the type of person like i don't watch old movies expecting them and this guy was like for a 2018 whatever perspective it doesn't work at all all this shit like I'm not like that at all. I mean, I'm just going in. Kind I think of like, that's that. That might be one of the most unfair ways to right. critique a movie, right? And then like one, uh, of the, one of the co-hosts was like, "Well, this is like 1984 type effects," and the guy, like, oh, "That's bullshit." You gotta. But I'm saying, I'm telling you, to, just going into this with an open mind, just legitimately the other night, wanted to rewatch this or whatever. I was shocked by such a large portion of the effects did work, like. Just
2: like- I love this scene too, uh, that we're, we're seeing. <laughs> I mean, it really sells the... The one thing I think this movie does great is the, the having some sympathy for the monster um, in a way that you didn't get from King Kong or... I don't know. I mean, even Mighty... Well, maybe Mighty Joe Young. But just the way this thing is tied down and being paraded through Piccadilly Circus. And yeah. it's just this kind of pathetic thing you know um and uh yeah i mean this is really one of the most sympathetic treatments of a monster that we uh, we've seen in this genre um at the time this was made uh and and it's made even more interesting by the fact that um if you look at similar things i mean um king kong is killed and the the Brontosaurus in the Lost World. I mean, he has no island to go back to because it is destroyed. Uh, Gorgo can go back home, you know, and and I think right. that that's a crucial part in um, just how how this kind of had a different flavor than a lot of those other movies. Mm-hmm. And 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 to your point, Goat about the the guy that was bashing Terminator. It is important to keep things in perspective, because you can look at a movie like Gorgo or The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms uh, or whatever. I mean, I would largely point to, okay, Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. Someone might look at it and be like, well, it's not as good as Gojira. And it's like, well, no, but for the time when there was no Godzilla, I mean, it was amazing. Godzilla did a lot of things that that movie did but did it better, but whatever, you know, I mean, we've seen movies come after this that did it better, but I mean, you really have to, I don't know, there is something to putting yourself in the shoes of someone that would have seen this in 1961, and you do have to kind of keep a balance between that and, yeah, you know, how, how it holds up, but I mean... yeah. Well, I'm
1: just
0: It's
2: too easy to be hard on old
0: movies. For, I always try to judge things, things like based that. on how they look for their time. Right. And right. I think I think for a lot of people, it's, it's tough to put this movie into context, because in a way it doesn't to me feel like a movie from 1960, you know, from no. like I mean, from This is you're talking about this is like damn near the advent of color in film, you know, like, I mean, color films were were they were the norm by this point. But this was the point where they became the norm. You still had black and white movies like up until the late 50s. So, um, you know, this is this is you're talking about the advent of color. Essentially, you're talking about like um, the. Blue screen as a technology was like kind of a new thing, especially, you know, in trying to meld it into color color film. Um,
1: yeah, I don't even know. Very, few companies, very few companies did
0: it very few companies. They said I think it was before King Kong versus Godzilla. It might have been before Mothra versus Godzilla. E.G. Tsuburaya, who did all the effects for the Godzilla movies, did a did like a, a furlough or a trip or whatever to America to see if he could come up with any ideas for things. And he said, like, the only real thing he came back with was like this super expensive optical printer that he wanted to get because it was the only way to make blue screen effects look halfway decent. And he didn't discover the existence of that thing until like the mid '60s. So when you think about this movie being made, this you know it was released in 1961, but it was made in 1960. Um, A lot of what this movie is doing is is you know they're forging their way. You know they're they're the first people doing some of this stuff. So it's you have to keep that that kind of stuff in mind, you know, like you go back and rewatch Jurassic park, just for example. And that, that, that scene with the brontosaurus, which is the first scene that you see of CGI kind of the only reason that that scene works these days is because of the score, the the atmosphere, the emotion surrounding it. But if you actually watch the CG, it's, it's not great. Right. Like the actors
2: sell that really, but
0: like, but but for nineteen ninety three, I mean that, that shit blew our minds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so you have to you have to kind of realize that even though I don't know, even though, yeah, everyone in nineteen sixty probably thought, you know, knew it was effects or whatever, it just blew their minds to to see this because they have no idea how it's being done. Yeah.
2: And I mean that that was always that's that was a challenge probably up until stuff like Star Wars, really the the blue screen stuff. Like even in the even by the time Tsuburaya had that optical printer, which I don't want to. I mean, I'm not gonna promise this is true, but I believe from memory that the first movie he used it on was Matango, which was 1963. But even then, only he and Walt Disney even owned that thing. They were the only people using that high caliber of a printer um and then yeah i, I, I think s- like by the time ilm really got rolling i think they're the ones that really kind of figured it out and in 2001 i mean movies like that um speaking of 2001 um uh this movie uh has special effects by a guy named tom howard went on to do a lot of stuff uh two thousand one uh tom Thumb um where eagles dare uh so that's again you know you had you had you had a good crew on this movie as low budget and quick as it it was
1: yeah and i I gotta say like you know I'll just say it like for me it's it was kind of you know for whatever effects like you know like the blue screen or whatever. Whatever effects don't, they don't quite pull off. I was like, I think more entertained by the ones that they do pull off really, really well. Just because, in this day and age, it's it's refreshing to see a because, and that's the thing. This thing like some of the old or whatever monster movies where you barely see the monster. Like you see, you, you get to see Gorgo like a whole lot in this, like wreaking havoc, doing stuff. And it's just refreshing to see something that actually, you know, in the year 2018 actually isn't CGI. It just has a different feel. It has a different flavor. It's not, I mean, in my mind, just being a movie fan, it's not really about what looks fake and what looks real and whatever, but it's like, what really is a quote unquote special effect, you know what I mean? And and what is, uh, you know, kind of makes this movie different than like a movie you would see now, you know, and, uh. One thing that I think some of these older monster films really, really do well is, you know, they focus on scenes that a modern movie wouldn't, because a modern movie would just, just like, just show as much CGI as you can. Like, I just love the scenes that really are all about the satire of society. Like how they did that montage of all the the buses going around London with Gorgo ads on them, and all the people watching him be prayed around the city and whatever, and like. Like, this movie does it, actually a really good um, job of satiring and really showing, like, how, like, the people are, like, cruel, you know what I mean? And just exploiting nature and how many scenes, like, the guys from the uh, ship who captured Gorgo, like, you know, maybe we can get this off or maybe we can get that, Like, they're making money hand over fist now when, when they get the Gorgo circus set up and everything. So like, Yeah,
0: that's it. A- That's a good segue into talking about. We've gotten forty minutes into this movie and we haven't talked about what a a scum main character is. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh, This guy is not a good person. Um, Yeah, yeah. Right at the you know at the beginning of the movie, he's trying to salvage stuff, and they're like, you know, his shipmates and everyone are like are like uh, that. That water over there. I've I've been sailing for for my entire life. I've never seen anything like that. That's like right before the volcano erupts, and destroys their ship. And you know they're like, we should get out of here. He's like, no, no. I could get a couple hundred bucks off of the stuff at the ship. And they're like, oh, okay, I guess you're willing to let people die for that, you know? Um, then uh, then he's he tries to exploit the uh, the harbor master. He's like. He's like, yeah, we'll take care of Gorgo for you, and we'll, we'll take some of the treasure that you found as a down payment. And the guy's like, what, how are you going to take care of him? You know, he's like, yeah, I'll give you some of the treasure if you take care, you know, if you take care of him. And they're like, good, give it to us. And he's like, yeah, okay, here. And they're like, yeah, we'll figure it out later. Like, he's he's always trying to huckster money out of people, and like, you know, people are are dying in his wake, and he's like, yeah, I'm sorry about it, or whatever. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because he there, does not every, care.
1: Yeah, every time they have to transport Gorgo or fuck around with Gorgo or do something, one or two guys just get as- accidentally killed, and it's not even because the monster is like so mean and eating people. It's just like the last guy got killed. He just accidentally got swiped by the tail because that's you know they were using flamethrowers to um, <laughs> you know corral Gorgo back into his pen and all that shit, and it wasn't even Gorgo or baby Gorgo's fault. He just he was just was turning direction, caught that dude in the tail, and yeah, he's like. You know, the other guy's like, yeah, that guy had a wife and kids. And he's like, so what? Sent, we'll send him, send him some money, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> like I said, it, it does a good job with, like, the satire. Like, there actually is a real story. Like, you know, the, the movie kind of starts out as, like, this adventure on the high seas, international, whatever, you know, type of adventure movie. You, you know, until Gorgo shows up, you kind of don't really know, like, exactly where it's going and stuff but uh yeah just the way they evolved this uh like this is some real storytelling some real direction and uh like we said um this only being a 76 minute movie they they kind of get the story out in a very economical but very like you know entertaining fashion like it, they don't there's not too much exposition you know like really yeah. We just had the big, uh, the
2: big twist, which uh, uh-huh. where the scientist revealed in his comically oversized book that uh, <laughs> <laughs> that Gorgo is actually a baby, and there is a mother out there. Uh, Look, which
0: creepy ass kid again? <laughs> just <laughs> watching Gorgo
1: electrocute himself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I gotta say that's one of my favorite scenes too. I just love the sadness and the despair of the little kid you know at night the circus is closed he's just watching gorgo meander around the pen and bump into the electrified fence and shit
2: and then here we have mom gorgo uh i like i like these night scenes on the island i just think they're very atmospheric uh yeah. but yeah uh that twist i want to i just want to mention i mean it's become kind of a trope now as we talked about but uh when people saw this movie and had no idea that was coming that had to have been quite an
1: exciting reveal yeah yeah another thing too if you're just watching this movie for the first time when they got baby gorgo he's in the circus it's sad all that kind of shit like you're kind of like okay like where do we go now from here you know what i mean because like it kind of seems like the movie's kind of almost over like there seems like nothing else could really happen you know that's a great twist though i mean it's it's become so famous
0: but it's a twist that's been used in other movies now you know, I mean.
2: Well, I, yeah, I, well, I talked about Spielberg and The Lost World, Jurassic Park
0: earlier. Well, yeah, but I mean, we knew there were giant T Rexes in in that movie. I'm saying, oh, well, like yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This, you know, I mean, Jaws three, I could think of, for example, where you know they 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 think they've uh, they got the shark, but then the the mother turns out to be like that that comic comically huge shark. Oh. Um, you know, another another one is the Meg just came out. Uh, they, they're, oh, yeah, they're,
2: yeah. They, yep. Yep.
0: Yep. So, so yeah, it's, it's a twist that's, uh, I don't know. I, I can't personally, well, actually I can think of one other movie that did it before this and that's, it's Rodan where Rodan has, you know, the the little insects that are like causing trouble yeah. in the mind that are killing things. And you're like, Oh my God, those things are really bad. And then, uh, you, the, the twist revealed that they are the food for, yeah. The Even then, I don't.
2: Spread. I don't know if anyone saw that thinking those were Rodan. I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I don't think so. Um, so we're in a, a. So I now that we're we're in a little bit of a lull where um, you know they're just kind of trying to find the the mother and uh, before it reaches land. Um, but to get back to the uh, the greedy entrepreneur characters. Um, it's interesting. That's that's an element that uh, the director uh, Laurier he did not want that. Um, really? Yeah. The original script, the main characters were actually much more likable. They and um, they weren't these like scavenger kind of sea guys. They were they were pearl divers. Um, and it, w- it was the King brothers that wanted it rewritten to to have these greedy kind of hucksters be behind it. Um, and well, now we're kind of getting into some military, uh, stuff too, um, because they're about to, uh, the Navy is about to, to bomb the mother. Um, but he he was also opposed to having military battle with the creature because yeah, he was I like, well,
1: cause cause I read he even bought a print of the movie and cut this scene out. Like, yeah,
2: yeah. He, he really didn't want that. He was like, well, you know, the, the creature would, would die and i don't know i think in general he he wanted the movie to be a lot more of a humanist piece than than what it is um and you know but but yeah the king brothers really wanted all this military stuff probably they probably wanted to compete with you know other with the godzilla kind of formula a little more and i I think he had something a little different
0: in mind well Well, if you were saying that they distributed rodan i mean And
1: Rodan made them a lot of money.
0: Yeah, that's what they wanted then.
1: (laughs) I really like this movie the way it is, though. I like it that there's not anybody who's, like, really too... I mean, like, the one guy from the ship, he does have a conscience at her point, you know. Yeah. But um, I kind of like it the way it's set up now, and then also just, like, the way the military is just, like, has no qualms about, we'll wipe these creatures out, you know, it's a nuisance, we'll take care of it, whatever. Um, I liked the movie the way it is because I, I actually really like, you know, the uh, the sympathetic character, the hero character of it being the monsters, really, you know?
2: Well, I mean, when you... I, like I said, I mean, the, the seed of this movie was born out of his daughter crying at the end of, you know, a movie he made, The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And, well, I'll make a version for, for you. I mean... They, this this genre is always tricky with human characters, because at their best, you know, you have movies, you have a, a decent handful that have great human characters, human drama, but even, but a lot of them, even some of the best ones, you know, are very bare bones, uh, and I think the more they they get into being for kids... I think the more, you know, studios that make these movies, they know, you know, kids want the monster. The monster is who the kids, the target audience, is going to identify with. Kids love monsters. Kids identify with monsters. You know, kids feel understood the same way monsters feel misunderstood. So I think the King Brothers knew that. And I think that, I think they were like, you know, the main character of this movie is Gorgo. It's not these schmucks.
1: Right. (laughs) That'd be, that'd be like saying, like, in 1998, everybody was like, man, if we could only really get a film going that has Matthew Broderick as a great paleontologist, <laughs> that that's what people want to see and identify with. and you know. <laughs> In a way, Roland Emmerich actually kind of made that movie, because the baby Godzillas were like, you know, just terrible things that they wanted to destroy, you know. Like, Um, shots like this of, like, the dirty circus grounds, I gotta say, Mike, I'm telling you, this movie, the atmosphere, the shots, like, it's, this is not a schlockfest. Like, it tells a good story, I thought. I I agree that, like, this movie was actually the first time I really
2: felt like, I was like, it's actually, it's a decent episode, it's funny, but um, when, I remember when the Mystery Science Theater episode was on, I was like, really, Gorgo? I feel like that's too, like, good for them and i know i think trev disagrees but whatever he's a mst (laughs) super fan but uh
1: really he he sold out gorgo just to jerk off (laughs) about the satellite (laughs) of love yeah yeah because because when i'm sorry but if you think gorgo like belongs in the same category as manos hands of right (laughs) yeah come
2: on what's interesting is i remember i actually taped i i I probably still have the tape. I had a VHS. My, my original copy of Gorgo was VHS of this taped off of AMC when it was American movie classics, Mm -hmm. uh, not the AMC that we that it became before
1: it was the all walking dead
2: world. right right dead and, and and I uh I had space on that tape afterwards and then I remember when the mystery science theater episode aired and I so my I have that tape somewhere it's the movie and then after that on the same tape is the MST episode but what's what the only reason I say that is cuz that's really strange because uh the MST episode only aired um it only aired twice uh both in the same day uh, and it had to be pulled because I guess there was some some kind of copyright thing oh. with this movie. And uh, I think that episode it ended up on DVD, and I know it's on Netflix uh, right now. Oh, um, also, eagle-eyed viewers will notice some of this military stock footage was also used in uh, the American cut of Rodan, again mm-hmm. from the King Brothers. But um, but yes, uh, that I, I just it was so it's, when I found that out, it was just so strange that I caught. This one of two broadcasts of that episode oh, yeah, and, and,
0: and taped it. Yeah, um, where do we come up? There's a, there's a. Did we already pass it? The the really sweaty guy oh. who's behind the control panel. It's just a, it's just a funny shot to me. This <laughs> um, is really just this guy that like fire number two, and he's like he looks. I don't. know. He looks miserable. Yeah, <laughs> he, <laughs> he, yeah I think that was like—is
2: that Lloyd Bridges in the uh, airplane? <laughs>
0: <Like, laughs>
1: Dev charges everything. Yeah, um, was,
0: I mean, this is this is a—I mean, know it's a lot of stock footage and everything, yeah, but it's, it's still a pretty
1: like—it's—it's it's cut together in an exciting way. I'll give him that. Yeah.
0: Hey, exactly. Godzilla
2: has a scene very similar to this. That's also stock footage, so I'm not going to be too uh, too crazy here. Um, but since we are just watching stock footage, um, we're at a kind of a, another lull in, in the story. Um, this, the, uh, this movie made uh, MGM and the King Brothers a lot of money. Um, and Gorgo had a kind of strange afterlife um, with uh, comic book tie-ins and, and things like that. Um, Goat, have you seen any of the comic book stuff? Just... Uh, oh, look, there some, he is. Oh, there he is. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> a sweaty
1: guy, yeah. He's, he like he, he has got he got done swimming.
2: Was, like, was his shirt off? Yeah, it
1: was. Yeah. 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 He was, but like, geez, in that the guy submarine was, firing. Yeah, that guy naked. was burning up so bad he had to take his clothes off. God. I mean, you would, too. There's probably hardly any air down. <laughs> yeah, I just saw, like, pictures of the covers and stuff. Gorgon mm. versus a spaceship and all that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah, the the comics were crazy. Um They were put out by Charlton Comics, Um and and uh I think the the comics are technically public domain, so you can find them online very easily. But IDW did put out a compendium of uh, of these and um I bring it up Go because I know you're a big Spider-Man fan and those comics were um Steve Ditko drew oh, Judah Gorgo wow. comics. Um and he also did a, a comics for Charlton um based on Konga, which was a British kind of King Kong knockoff um and Charlton also did Reptilicus comics really? um, and so yeah so those three are kind of referred to as like the the Charlton monsters um and uh yeah IDW reprinted the Gorgo and Congo ones um but uh yeah they they were crazy like they, they would have Gorgo fighting um like aliens and and, uh, you know, you're dinosaurs and, and, you know, it's the, it's the 60s. So communists at one point, um, Charlton ended up having to change the name of Reptilicus to Reptosaurus because of oh. some kind of, uh, copyright thing. But, uh, Reptilicus under the name Reptosaurus, actually cameos in a Gorgo comic as well, um, uh, but yeah there there were a lot of those and then um there was Gorgo a mini series
0: a Gorgo was used in a Marvel comic too at one point and then they, they changed yeah. the name Yeah there was um did they change it to Gorga like somewhere it, it was Yeah like, yeah
2: Gorga it was um I think it was a Spider-Man comic uh, where uh, Captain Universe made uh, giant versions of toys based on gorgo and conga which was probably like whoever wrote that issue it was probably their homage to the the charlton monster comics um and they would they would uh like attack the city or whatever and um yeah they had to change gorgo's name but but yeah i mean it's it's definitely a, a nod to gorgo um
1: yeah i gotta point out this scene's awesome here because like gorgo uh is like kind of reaching the outskirts of london like, the docks, so the army and everything, like, they pretty much catch everything oh, on shit. fire to try to uh, deter Gorgo. And, like, on one of the wharfs, there's, like, a gang of young toughs, one of them looks like a James Dean wannabe, and that are just admiring all this Gorgo action, and just everything catches on fire, and the kids actually, like, all get burned up. <laughs> 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 I just thought it was funny that, like, amongst, like, all the collateral damage of all the... Or whatever they are the the national guard and the cops and the whatever like they just throw in like some young toughs who happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> got burned up
2: speaking of uh weird gorgo stuff uh and tie-ins there was also a novelization uh which um was, uh, I forget the name of the publisher, Maverick, maybe? I don't know. But coincidentally, they also did novelizations of Reptilicus and Conga. And the interesting thing about these is, like, these these were basically, like, kids' creature features, and these novelizations are beefed up with these graphic sex scenes. What? And Yeah, and nobody, nobody that's read them can seem to figure out why. Uh, like, the interesting uh... thing about...
1: Who are the females <laughs> well, they, that they're having sex with? Because this this movie has no characters
2: at all, right? Well, well, the interesting thing about the Gorgo novelization is that it created a female character just for the male lead to to sleep with. Um, <laughs> and uh, my um, my friend Kevin, who runs the the blog Mazer Patrol, uh, he put out a book called Kaiju for Hipsters. There's a chapter on Gorgo. That kind of gets into the novelization, and yeah, apparently this female character, all she does is just have sex with the men. And Jeez. anytime she's anytime she's on on the page, it just slows down the narrative, and she just yeah. she literally adds nothing to the story. And it's it's just very strange that a novelization for a kids' movie would yeah. create a character just to have sex with
1: people. It, t- it takes like a story <laughs> that's supposed to be like a science fiction monster whole, th- you know, theme. And uh, just basically turns all the monster stuff as background noise to a softcore porn story is pretty much what it does. It sounds like <laughs> right, it's, it, yeah. And apparently they're they're pretty graphic uh, scenes also. <laughs> I gotta say, I, I do love like the composited in scenes of just the reporter who's giving play by play of how the army is faring against Gorgo and stuff. You're, yeah, It's pretty fun. That's
2: a very uh, yeah. That's a very Godzilla. Uh, Element there, and it's crazy to think we're already coming into the the, the final volume, yeah. showdown. I mean, that's why I just love I just love the brevity of old genre movies, whether it's yeah. something like this or Universal horror or or whatever. I mean, like even if you get one of those cheap like horror classic box sets and it's just all these old B movies that, that or these like super cheapies that starred Bella Lugosi, and it's like you know what? Even if it's bad, I'll pop it in, and it's. An hour
1: of like, my yeah, life. Yeah, it's
0: like an hour. It's like an hour and nine minutes. <laughs> yeah,
1: like, I mean, right here, Gorgos destroying bridges, got some great model work. Like, this is what we want to get to it. I'm tired of... This is of... some great...
0: Yeah. Model. This is great. I love uh, the...
2: This is a great set that they're they're on right now. Th- this is just... This is just great stuff. This is my bread and butter here.
1: Yeah, it's really good. And, like, this is what ch- this is what we want to see when we see these movies. Now anything with the sci-fi premise with a with a you know an A-list picture but with the B premise now, you go to see it, two and a half hours, forty minute CGI final fight. Like, we don't need that in these films, like
2: Yeah, I mean, as much as I've enjoyed plenty of, you know, the recent monster movies that are done in CG, I mean nothing beats looking look at the set. Look at this set. Just look at it. I mean nothing yeah. just beats the visual aesthetic of of looking at this stuff which is why I understand I'm don't get me wrong I'm excited for the new Godzilla movie that Michael Doherty is doing but you know I know it's not going to have this so it's not okay. it's not all it's not going to have the it's just for me it's not going to it's never going to click for me as well as some of these old old movies well, because yeah. of it
1: cuz I mean this movie you know and then you know also i guess guys like us we don't really care about how new or old a movie is we just care about if it's going to deliver the goods of what we see when we put a movie on you know and it's like like all that shit of destroying that bridge they could have like condensed that they could have just had them make one hole in the bridge and walk through but like we wanted to see them tear all that shit down and the guys fall into the water and get destroyed we want to see all of it you know
2: and something that this movie takes in adopting these kind of Japanese effects methods is, I mean, the Japanese, they don't, they never, they didn't care so much about realism, like yeah. us Americans. Like, there's a very famous, at this point, story, there's a scene in the movie Frankenstein Conquers the World, which is Toho's... Movie about a giant Frankenstein fighting Baragon, who showed up in the Godzilla films. But there's a scene where Baragon is on, uh, is like rampaging through, uh, like the a Yeah, yeah, and and he comes up on like a farm, and there's a shot of this. It's a really of Baragon, and in front of him is this horse. really goofy looking horse puppet. And at one point, someone asked Subaraya, like, "You're a master of special effects. Why didn't you just composite footage of a real horse?" into the scene and he said well that would be boring
1: you know yeah.
0: i i want it, it it's the it's the visual the, he wants the, like they, a
1: hyper real like yeah, it, yeah it's
0: it's not it's not about realism that's that's the yeah. the, the uh the the japanese the, the tokusatsu the the suitmation yeah. uh philosophy right yeah. is it
2: there's kind of an it, intentional on uh artificiality to yeah. it that I think for the Japanese, they get it from things like you know their old school like puppet theater and stuff like that. Oh, we well, just saw the the excellent big Brit, uh, Big Ben miniature yeah, say, get torn. Probably it's the almost most something
0: that I wish modern movies would would adopt too. Like these are effects. I know they're effects. You know, like yeah. Yeah. you don't you don't have to try to hide the fact that they're effects. You don't have to try to trick me like. Like and and yeah, I mean to a certain extent all effects are supposed to be trying to trick the audience, but like the way you trick the audience is to build your atmosphere and build your your story and build your characters and yeah, I know this movie is light on a couple of those things, but like you know, you build your atmosphere, you get your score rolling, you do your dire- you do your job as a director and you you whisk the audience away that way. You don't trick the audience by trying to make them think they're looking at something real. Like, yeah. that's, that's always been my... Like, I always have known that thing. Like, I mean, ever since I was, what, probably older than... Older than five, you know. I've known that that stuff is in movies is not real, and that it's Oh, they're going to reuse trick.
2: this shot about five hundred times. I just and trying that. to yeah. trying
0: to you know that's the one the one thing that I like about practical effects versus CGI is like trying to figure out how they did something, and even if you you end up knowing how they did something, to right. know like oh they they had to figure out how to do that versus like oh they just type. A bunch of shit into it. Um, I,
2: I, I like when, even now, I like I like when filmmakers still like won't explain everything. Like the thing, like there's some things Rob Bottin just won't tell you how he did, right. and I love that. It, same with like any uh, Racerhead. There's the the baby, and David Lynch, he won't tell you what it is. It's like okay, I I think it's kind of an open secret that I think it was an aborted lamb fetus or something. But he's like, you know, I don't
0: I don't want to tell you how what that thing is. Yeah. <laughs> So here's here's the, what, I, re- like, what uh, the, I really like yeah, about this. Okay, song. this is the shot they're going to reuse. They're over. reusing the shot over. Creepy kid alert. Careful. He's Everyone else is running for their lives, and this kid is yeah. gleefully watching <laughs> Gorgo modern. rip the, the city to shreds. But um... You know, he would be best friends with the kid in the
2: first Gamera movie because <laughs> both of those kids are complete sociopaths. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta say, I think this is actually really good filmmaking because you got these like straight up like, just like shots of the guy in the suit right going through the miniature city right, and then you hard cut to the just the, the straight up people running and like the crowd scenes are great how panicked they got. I think this is oh. one of the best movies I've seen. Like of people, I running was away. Just,
0: I was just gonna mention that goat. Yeah. Like yeah, it's
1: it's it's great. And then and then obviously there's a few shots intercut, which is like, you know, Gorgo, um, you know, blue screened into the shot with the people in the foreground or whatever. But I gotta say like, it's just the whole combination of the techniques and it just like, it's amazing. Like that is movie magic right there that you believe that these people are running from this giant, like, just like the <laughs> yeah. guy who falls on these the stairs. fuckers are
0: there. trampling each other over the <laughs> yeah. stairs and like, yeah, that's, that's something that, you know, I mean, in the even in the godzilla franchises, you know bird and i love it right you don't ever really see like this much this level of like panic and um this guy just threw his wife out a window <laughs> uh, <laughs> and like, then he jumped after he jumped
2: right after yeah that's <laughs> like, some that's some 9-11 stuff it right is, there. It is, it is. and i mean but this is never,
0: 1961
1: i bet people are traumatized this, this level
0: of of panic and claustrophobia Ooh. among among crowds. Like I
1: love the, I love
2: how up close and kind of handheld the camera work is.
0: Yeah, think. and He's, you know everyone's pushing and shoving each other. Uh, at one point, I, I, at one point, some people get trampled to death. I, I, we didn't see it. Yet. It's the guy who's got the sign that says like the end is near or something. Like yeah yeah that, yeah. That dude gets he gets trampled to death. Like like that is all. Pretty unique to this movie, um, you know. I, I I wonder, you know, um, Guillermo del Toro, if if he is a fan of this movie. I mean, I'm sure he probably. Uh, do is, you even honestly. have to ask. Uh, <laughs> Let's but like, be honest. I I wonder if this movie was in his mind at all when you know he was thinking of the uh, the the fallout shelters or whatever yeah, in Pacific, Pacific Rim. Rim. I, I think
1: um, I think he was, and I you know what else too, Jelly. As I would bet money that Spielberg was directly influenced for his version of the War of the World scenes with the running crowds of oh, people.
0: Yeah, you know. with the crowds of people, yeah. Yeah. Uh
1: yeah, no, this it's this is some good stuff. Especially right there where the guy and the kid went deeper in the subway tunnel and then it just all collapsed right behind him and all those thousands of people they were just standing with just all died instantly. Like that totally feels like Spielberg's World of the Worlds, you know? Yeah. Um,
2: some awkward blue screen, but uh, <laughs> but no, you you're, you guys are right in that. Um, I mean, the, the that's the stuff that's going to sell it more than the effects, I think. Right. And another another guy that I I can quote, um, who I, I ironically, you know, he famously looked at this method of effects as being a little bit lesser than stop motion, but Ray Harryhausen. Uh, I mean, who was one this of the is a pioneers? Great shot, by the way. This oh yeah, Gorgo coming up on Piccadilly Circus and yeah, tearing yeah. down the the Gorgo, the Gorgo sign. sign.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, great, great stuff. Like that could be a desktop background. Um, but yeah, Harryhausen said, you know, even after seeing how technology has advanced, he I prefer stop motion because there's a dreamlike, surreal quality to the movement of the creatures, and again, it's that that, you know, this stuff, it, it 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 has an intentional artificiality to it that is there to enhance just the visual appeal and the overall atmosphere. So, yeah, I think a lot of modern movies get too hung up on that stuff.
1: Yeah, that's why I always wonder if there's, like, somebody, because, I mean, like... And, you know, I don't know enough about the financial realities of of large-scale film production. But I always wonder, like, could you make a Gorgo, like, with the same effects? Obviously, you know, you'd have some technological advantages. But could you basically make Gorgo now for, like, $10 million done practically? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder about that. Like, could you do that? Because, it, I mean, no one's going to finance it, even in yeah. that budget. Yeah, but feel, but I'm just saying, like could you, you do it? Because if you do, like, the CGI version of Gorgo now, that's at least a $100 million picture, depending on how big you want to scale it up or down. But, like, like, I just wonder, could somebody just, like, use these old effects? And I would think, like, with, you know, modern... Um, compositing techniques you could even do it better you know really
2: well i I, I, that's one of the things like uh even if the movie is gonna be crummy you know i that's why that's one of the things oh here's the 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 repent the end guy um but yeah i mean it's interesting that you know you have your asylums your sci-fis even you know your modern day cormans and they make these creature movies with all cg and it it would be nice to see Mm -hmm. someone at least try to do it practically like even and i mean they were still kind of doing that as early as the 90s with you know carnosaur and right i mean yeah the effects in that are worse than this but you know at least someone did it
1: <laughs> right you yeah know, that's uh i don't even think carnosaur effects are bad because of like the technology or whatever they use i think carnosaur just probably could have been better if they took more time to do it yeah you know?
0: it's just it's it is crazy the amount of money that you know the a modern blockbuster pisses away. Like, I mean, you know, we talk about like realism versus just like escapism and that kind of thing. And like a fucking rampage (laughs) spent, spent how many hundreds of thousands of dollars, probably maybe millions on hiring scientific advisors to tell them (laughs) how a crocodile would mutate if exposed to fake growth serum. Like, I mean,
2: you know those guys got paid basically for... I, I bet those guys just made-up answers. Uh, it would oh, do course. this.
0: Well, I mean, okay. you have to make it up because
1: they're <laughs> theoreticizing like, a made-up uh, pathogen or whatever. You know what I mean? And,
0: like, and then they had to have ignored that shit that they the guy said anyways because I, mean, I doubt... I mean, find me a scientist who says that when a wolf grows to be 50 feet tall, it also sprouts wings and quills. Like, <laughs> I mean so so they hired these guys and then they just ignored them like but like that's again that's this whole like obsession with with realism just ends up them pissing money away you know instead of just being like oh like there's there's a giant monster it just exists they have to come up with like these these realistic explanations you know it's that whole right. Bird and I, being involved in a lot of these Godzilla groups, and got you know the fandom in general like, brush up against it all the time. Of people being like, "Well, how are they going to realistically explain that King Kong, who's a hundred feet tall in Skull Island, ends up being able to fight Godzilla?" And they're like, "They're just they're just going to make him bigger, guys." Like,
1: yeah.
0: it's well, and maybe they won't. Like, maybe they'll hire some scientists to tell them how <laughs> King Kong can grow. King Kong. I got, well, I got my well, like, degree from Kong you know, like, University. <laughs> in, in 1962, they made King Kong versus Godzilla, and the last time everyone saw King Kong, he was 25 feet tall, and all of a sudden he's 150 feet tall. Like, they don't explain it, it just is. Nobody well, like, cared back
2: then, either. Yeah. Well, so, a minute ago, I, um, we had some rather clumsy daytime stock footage of planes shooting at a nighttime uh mo- mother gorgo but with an interesting effect that i haven't seen that i don't think any other giant monster movie is the explosions were these weird like superimposed uh thing like like yeah they're mean, borderline explosions. cartoony like, right yeah like what, what do you guys think of that i, I that's it's kind of like strange that. I, mean, I don't mean i mean i can
1: see- it kind of remind me of like uh batman <laughs> uh t v show with Adam West, like the bang Pow, you know kind of explosions and graphics yeah, yeah uh, so so the the final plan to you know all these rockets and shit couldn't kill Gorgo. they electrified the whole area around where baby Gorgo was at basically the circus, and they were going to put like two what was it two million volts to electrify gorgo or mommy Gorgo and she just pretty much tears through that shit like yeah again taken
2: right out of godzilla it's just it's crazy how much because this this takes from king kong godzilla mighty joe young but it added it, it really did add enough originality to it that future movies would continue to crib from this
0: yeah yeah it's crazy to think too you know we're talking about like just how popular this movie was right and how much of an impact it had and It actually had a this fucking kid. Um, (laughs) It actually had a a life after this, you know, as comics and everything. That you know, it never got a a sequel or um, a remake or anything like that. You know, I mean, yeah, that is kind of
2: like I understand nobody wanting to go back to Reptilicus or Gappa or whatever, but a movie like Gorgo, yeah, it is interesting that. It, to my knowledge, nobody even proposed a remake, you know, or, or like, at one point a studio had the rights or anything like that. It just kind of was left as is. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it was on one of the old Monster Zero boards someone made a joke, you know, when they announced Kong was back uh, for Skull Island. Someone was like, well, when is the Asylum or someone going to buy the rights to Gorgo? Oh.
1: <laughs> mm. I like to end here with the two monsters, the big monster and little monster, like walk off together in the sunset.
0: Yeah, it's a cool. Yeah, it's
1: and that cool image day. has
0: been repeated many times. <laughs> um, but but yeah, just I'm not even a sequel either. You know, like that's yeah. I mean, it's it's not like this. This came in an era where there where sequels were like especially a sequel to something as, as, uh, as schlocky. And I know we, this movie is not actually schlocky, but just in the genre as a whole certainly was, was schlock at this time. You know I mean? Right. Something as, as, as schlocky as this to not get a sequel to, you know, like to be popular, to be successful and to not even produce like a, like a cheap, like quick turnaround sequel. It, it's surprising yeah. to me. I, I, bet a sequel would not have been good because i don't think they would have put the same kind of money or time into it that they did into this because that's you know the sequel business in 1960 was all right how can we make the same movie for half as much money you know and because sequels um, are always
1: about grossing less and less but trying to slash the budget so you still made a profit you know
0: but it is just crazy we never got a never got a sequel to this and that that's that's a little crazy um even Gulala got a sequel. Well,
1: I was, It was like 40 years later, but it <laughs> happened. I was going to ask your guys' opinions on this. Like, um, how Bird was saying, like, the kind of legacy and, you know, everything, you know, to this point, uh, like, you know, 2018, whatever. Like, how much of, like, Gorgo's fame or legacy do you think has been, in a way, diminished because of the fact that it never got a 1990s or 2000 CGI remake, you know what I mean? Because I feel like for, um, you know, not just the movie in general to validate the original movie, but just the character in general, I feel like, you know we reached that kind of saturation point to where if your character wasn't remade it's not considered one of the greats probably you know what i mean i
2: don't know i mean i definitely think there might be something to said to maybe why this movie isn't as popular with the younger um generation uh because i mean we we're probably the last generation to connect to it because it was on tv a lot and all that but um yeah i, I because i mean you think about it, it a lot of these monsters have come back in some capacity. Like I just mentioned, Galala. Uh, I mean, Tom. If not, maybe you go to know. I mean, even even Yongari got a sort yeah. of reboot at one point. I was gonna and, bring that up. Yeah, and, and we didn't. We never even got anything of that caliber for for Gorgo. And yeah, I, I think. Um, the closest thing we had was, uh, I think it, it was only a few years ago when IDW reprinted the, the Steve Ditko comics. And then, of course, this, this Blu ray release, which itself was kind of a happy accident because I think a lot of the elements for this movie were considered uh, lost. And then they found a pretty decent looking negative in a salt mine, of all places. Some yeah. places these things turn up is weird, but. Um,
0: but yeah, yeah, it's it's just, it's a movie it's very that you know, in 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 our fandom, uh, the the kaiju fandom, you don't hear much about, um, mm-hmm. and I do think it is because there's no modern version of it. Yeah. And now I know I know a lot of a lot of the the younger people for sure don't don't watch or don't like as many of the older movies, and that's that, that is what it is. It's fine, whatever. But like. Yeah. People as they get older do do kind of peel back more for sure. I mean, you, you talk to anyone in the kaiju fandom over thirty, and their favorite movies are all from the fifties and sixties. But even then, this movie doesn't get brought up too much, and yeah. I think it's because, especially like you know, especially now and the and the people that are that are getting into their like twenties and, and and stuff now, there was no modern version of this movie for them to see first to then go oh well what was this actually based on well well even you know? we
2: had well even we had the old you know monster vision airings on TV and you know they they, they don't play movie aside from TCM movies this old don't get play on TV right. almost ever um but it, it is i mean so many of the monsters we know and love in this genre, have had at least one other movie. I mean, Mighty Joe Young had a remake in in the '90s, I, but yeah, I, Gorgo was always of the the more popular movies. Just kind of, you know, once the once it wasn't on TV anymore, uh, I think it was. I like I remember when I was younger, this movie was brought up a lot, and you know it, that was when you know I'd read you know letter com letter sections in g fan and and stuff like that. Gorgo was talked about, but now you know the, the it's really just kind of you know just not ever really mentioned, which is a shame because, like like we said, this movie established a lot of the tropes that Toho and Daye and everyone else would would end up using later
1: yeah and i mean i mean honestly you know um like i pretty much created this podcast in general to kind of appeal to people my age generation x to kind of you know originally just cover the movies of the 80s and then later i opened it up to cover the 90s as well but i've noticed some of the like the really early like the super early 80s movies are some of our most downloaded which I would think that would probably even mean that we probably we probably do have a lot of our listeners being even older than Generation X. So, you know, like if we, you know, for movies like Gorgo, where like all three of us sit here and we're scratching our heads why it's not bigger than whatever, you know, I think definitely we, you know, we can pick some of these even older gems from the sixties, seventies, even fifties. Oh yeah, but I, you know, I think we can definitely yeah. go back in time and. uh you know, one thing in general too. I would really love to, uh, you know, at some point in the future, hit up you know, the Universal classic monster films. Oh
2: God, so, get me! I I am all over it, yeah. and uh, and I, I I know you mentioned you mentioned this along with Guanji a couple times. I'll do a yeah. Guanji
0: too. Yeah.
2: Um, Warner. Archive, yeah, but, I, the, the I just bought sale. the Warner
0: Archive Archive Blu-ray of that one, so.
2: Yeah all right and, and but yeah the the sad thing about gorgo not being popular is that for decades it was really popular right. and i think once i yeah. think i think i think it the popularity died off in the 2000s when it just it didn't have that life on tv you know yeah. it, it just it just didn't
1: which is and I hate too. that. Yeah, no, yeah, I hate that too. But- I used
2: to love. I used to love tuning into TNT pretty much any day of the week after 10 p.m. and seeing whether it's an old monster movie. Uh, I mean, it, they would do kaiju movies. They do Hammer films. They do Universal films. Uh, martial arts movies all the time. Uh, I just I hate yeah. that. Well, as and, far and as people
0: TV, are like, oh, you could get that now, and they're like, it's on Comet, and you're like, what the hell is Comet? And they're like, right? it's a streaming. channel Channel on your computer. I'm like, I don't flip through streaming channels on my computer. Like, yeah. like I Hopefully sit down to, <laughs> yeah, like I sit down to watch streaming channels on my computer. Yeah. You know, like it's,
2: it's just I, I just hate that. As far as modern cable, no movies were made before 1989. Or whatever. Well,
1: what's, what's weird, too, Bird, is um, I remember the days of cable TV, hardly any of your basic cable channels had movies at all. Like, not even old, old, old-ass movies, because the rights to them are expensive. Now, every, like, I don't care, like, what it is, every cable channel, no matter what the theme of it is, constantly has movies on and yeah like the majority of them now aren't even before the year 2000 and there's like a few channels that kind of show a lot of the super popular shit from the 80s and 90s but like yeah like there's there on any given time on cable tv even basic cable you can fit, f- flip through and fine, you grain it with commercials and chopped up, but you can find it any, at any time during the day, usually about 30 different movies playing. Yeah. And, and none of them and, are from like, you know, the sixties or seventies, you know what I mean? It's weird. I, yeah, I, no, I it's, just, it's I just like
0: ha- for modern, for, for current day cable, it's like it, it had to be made before, you know, it had to be made after 2000 or be. Uh, Jurassic Park, Terminator, you know, like yeah. they're, they're, before I, 2000, according to modern cable channels, there were like six movies. Yeah. yeah. And, <laughs>
2: and I mean, that's that's why, like, I, I have so much appreciation for Turner Classic movies like they're doing. The, they're literally doing something no one is doing. Yeah. And, you know, I just remember these movies were always on sci fi or TNT and even movies that I didn't see until I was older. Like I didn't really get into Hammer movies until I was in college. But I knew the imagery, I knew the titles because of scrolling through sci-fi, TNT, USA, and, I, I, and being aware of them. And now it's just the stuff, it's just become more niche than ever, these old movies. It's really frustrating to me, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's. I mean, I was, let's be honest. It's terrible. And, you oh, know. you
2: know what? You know what? I don't know. Did either of you guys watch that Eli Roth History of Horror thing? No, yeah. not
1: yet. Yeah, I'm about halfway through a bird.
2: Okay. Have you? If If you don't know what I'm gonna say, it's fine. But let me ask you: Have you noticed anything strange about it? <laughs> Maybe the questions too vague.
1: That it's like mostly just talking
2: about popular shit. From well, it's, I'm not gonna lie that that's that's I I watched all six episodes and. Full honest truth, it pissed me off. Because as far as that series goes, there were no horror movies before Night of the Living Dead at all. Right. You know, no mention of Hammer. I mean, any mentions of Universal or Hammer or anything before 1967, forget about it. And it's like so many of the best horror movies are from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And as far as they were concerned, oh, this is. And like I was talking to Trev, he's like, Oh well, I like it. Every generation needs something like that. And it's like, Well, if you're gonna call yourself history of horror, actually tell the fucking history.
1: Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that's I mean, crazy that's... coming
0: from, from Eli Roth too, who like yeah, every you yeah. know, every time I've heard him talk or anything, like he's a super knowledgeable guy and has an obvious passion yeah. for I it. I mean I wouldn't the... be
2: surprised if AMC were like, Well, let's try to keep it, you know, re- you know don't yeah. don't talk about too much stuff that's not in color, basically.
1: Well, Yeah, like, there was a funny part of, um, actually, not even the history of horror, but James Cameron's history of sci-fi, where all of a sudden this one episode, I think it was, like, where they're talking about pandemics or something, all of a sudden it became, like, this, like, ten minute infomercial for Walking Dead, like, all of a sudden the sets where people were interviewed, didn't look like any of the sets that other guests had been interviewed. (laughs) James Cameron was not in this segment. He never, like, on screen, he never uttered one thing about Walking Dead. It's like they slipped in this Walking Dead commercial into James' fan... James Cameron's uh, world of science fiction TV shows bizarre. So I mean, I what you're saying, Bird, about them saying focus on this, don't talk about that. Like, I could definitely see that happening. Yeah, sure. it just it, it just
2: irritated me to no end. It's like you're going to do a vampire episode and like and talk about Bella Lugosi for five seconds, really?
1: Like. <laughs> I <laughs> might as well just say Bella the ghost, he's dead, and call it. Yeah, dead. <laughs> just play, just play the Bauhaus song at the end, and leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, I mean Gorgo. I mean, I, I think people, you know, um, heard us talk about it. I mean, pretty much, there's not more much more I can say other than like. I think it is a classic movie, um, not just because it was like, oh, this was a movie that was popular and influenced or whatever. But it just—it's really, I, I think it's uh, one of the, you know, high marks of the genre, especially for that time period. That you know, that kind of infancy of kaiju, uh, the you know, the fifties, sixties, seventies. You know, I I, I I think it really is up there. Yeah, it was a big stepping stone.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I like Gorgo. It's brisk, too, man. I mean, yeah. we, we've we talked so much longer after it's been over because the movie just flies by.
1: <laughs> it does. So, yeah, so thank you so much, all listeners, for tuning in. Um, if you happen to have, because we have a lot of people who just kind of tune into to certain episodes um, just based on what the movie is we're talking about. So if you came here because you're a Kaiju fan... Uh, definitely get on over to the kaiju transmissions where bird is uh how many years has kaiju transmissions been going solid now bird going on his third Uh, year about two and a half yeah almost going on third year yeah
0: this is this was the third october that i did with them
1: yeah and uh you're 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 almost like uh close you're, you're almost like an uncertified third host over there jelly so you, you definitely, I tried a big. Yeah, you've definitely been flexing your kaiju muscles as well. He and, pretty uh, much has an October residency there because he's always on our Halloween. Jelly's <laughs> <he's> October residency. <laughs> the kaiju He's spinning the hits every October. Kaiju <laughs> So yeah, so and obviously I want to thank you guys for not only coming on and you know sharing the kaiju knowledge and filling in the gaps and everything. I you know I'm just a fan of this particular movie, but definitely. You guys feeling in the background, and yeah you know, we we behind the scenes, if you like the giant monster talk, we definitely got some things on the table that uh you know we'll be bringing these guys back to uh discuss and uh but obviously, too, you guys are also just movie fans in general, so I like to give both of you either together or separate whatever combination. Make some ash. Who knows? Maybe we'll get mad on this show one day. Uh,
2: <laughs> well, he did Godzilla 98 with
1: us. Yeah, he did. He did. But uh, yeah, he's.
2: Uh, I, I don't know. I hope he's okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Don't he he, like, I'm hoping tomorrow he lets us know he just fell asleep. Was
0: Godzilla 98 my last episode or was my last episode the big hit? Oh.
1: Well, uh,
2: I think it was Godzilla. Yeah, I don't know. We, we I did, back I did, to back bo- almost. Yeah, months. I did both of those with with you guys. Yeah, like, yeah, not too far from. That I think
1: thing. I think yeah, I, I think we did Big Hit maybe in March and we did Godzilla in April if I'm remembering correctly. But, but yeah, that's way too long. We definitely we need some more jelly. We need some more bird. Um, so yeah, so we'll be coming to you uh, soon, fans, with some more. Monster Mayhem, and just other great movie madness. So thanks again, everybody, for listening to the show. We appreciate it. And we'll see you next time in the movie graveyard. Yep. You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows, visit electronicmediacollective.com.